It's Now or Never, a podcast about the survival of our species. Episode 10, A Universe of Chad Memes, with Glenn Newcomer. You're in the mix. In the mix. Two turntables spinning labels, mixing it up live. Welcome back to WKBOJ The Bouge. This is DJ Avocado Smoothie, bringing you freshly blended raw tunes to tickle the taste buds through your earbuds, cleanse your colons, and promote healthy gut microbiota. We've got all-natural vibe therapy for you this Sunday afternoon, just in time for your midday spirulina shot. We're decalcifying pineal glands one bop at a time. Coming up, music by Keshko, C. Scott, Uncle Milk, Kula, plus whatever's on this unlabeled cassette tape I found way in the back. Very authentic. But first, a message from our sponsors while I go to town on this chia, goji, hemp heart, and dehydrated kimchi trail mix. Ooh, that is a weird combination of flavors. Hi, I'm the collective consciousness of ExxonMobil. You may have heard some scary headlines about global warming or gloom and doom reports from climate scientists. It sounds scary, but is it really? We at ExxonMobil just want to say, eat my oil slick ass. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not kidding. Open wide and receive my fudgy bottom plops, you undiversified portfolio-having sub-multi-billionaire infinitesimal fleck of garbage. Who are you? Nobody. I have more money than God. I own you. I bought you from Facebook for $12. I own your politicians. I own your government. You're my bitch. You think we don't know about climate change? Please. Our scientists were some of the first to reveal the dangers of climate change back in the 70s. You know what we did? We told them to shut their dumb mouths. Then we spent over 31 million since 1998 blocking solutions, buying politicians, and spreading misinformation to the public. Seriously, bro, look it up. Oh, you mad, bro? You mad? You gonna retweet some shit? Make a podcast? Oh, scary. Oh, no. Oh, please. Bitch, our last CEO was Secretary of State for a hot minute. Before that, he was making deals with Putin and snatching up oil fields in Kurdistan against the wishes of U.S. diplomats. We fucking undermined U.S. foreign policy in the region. Look it up. We do what we want. We want to frack the earth in half and suck every last drop from tar sands. We do it, and we make a fuck ton of money doing it. ExxonMobil, out! Hey, Chet, how goes the bunker shopping? All of my upper-level billionaire friends are designing custom, luxury bunkers for their new properties in New Zealand. But I'm just a low-level billionaire or mere multi-millionaire. I can't afford the top-of-the-line high-end luxury bunkers. What am I going to do? Haven't you heard? Manufactured luxury bunkers. They offer all the guillotine protection of the higher-end luxury bunkers for a fraction of the price. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you a low-level billionaire or mere multi-millionaire worried about maintaining your relative affluence when the refugee crises and famines hit? Are you concerned about maintaining the loyalty of your private security forces when the social order reverts to desperate feudalism? When the shit hits the fan, you want to hold all the cards. Wealthy Silicon Valley elites are already snatching up properties in New Zealand. You don't want to be stuck inside your grandfather's dusty old Cold War era bunker. I'm Tom Gottlieb. I'm here to provide you with luxury bunker solutions that even a low-level billionaire or mere multi-millionaire can afford. With your down payment 
on your brand new custom-made luxury bunker, we'll throw in a batch of our patented exploding loyalty collars. Your indentured servants will hang on every word, or else pop! Guaranteed! Wound up with more wealth than I knew what to do with. Uh, even though I earned it and deserve every penny, all of my upper-level billionaire friends were buying up properties in New Zealand, and I didn't want to look like an absolute dildo. Last thing I want to do is get eaten up by a bunch of commoners. Mr. Gobbly hooked me up with a affordable bunker of my very own, and now I'm resting easy in the breezy, waiting for it all collapse and this terrible thing. Now I can look on in relative affluence and just laugh while the commoners eat themselves. Thanks, Gobbly. Come on down to Tom Gobbly's Discount Bunker Warehouse and Bunker Emporium. How you still can. Thanks for listening to Now or Never. Got a great conversation with Glenn Newcomer coming up. Uh, we talk about connections between class consciousness and climate change, the surprising merit of internet memes, what's stopping us from imagining a better future, how capitalism affects video games, farming, human beings, and heritage beings. No, that's super lame. We both attempt a Jordan Peterson impression, then get sad about Alex Jones. Plus, Glenn talks about his artistic process and his Be Your Own Drum Circle brand. Once or twice, you might hear a little jingle jangly sound in the background. That's my kitty playing with his toy, so if you hear that sound, just picture Happy Kitty having a great time. I'll put a picture in the show notes. This is podcast time now. It's so good. How does it feel to be making content again after the six months of like production you've been on? It's really good because I'm I'm in kind of a better headspace, you know. The previous, like, what is it, eight episodes all kind of came from a place of processing the information that I was consuming about climate change and collapse possibilities and stuff like that. But now I, I'm kind of out on the other side of it. I, I feel good. I feel like this is going to bring, like, a fresh energy to it and different kinds of conversations. You've moved on to, like, acceptance. There's acceptance lap, even though it's, like, the stage of breathing. I don't think acceptance implies like like not responding. In a lot of ways, I think you need to accept a situation before you can respond. Like I don't think acceptance necessarily means like being apathetic about it. Yeah. How are you feeling about all this uh, climate change stuff? Um, it sucks. It's bad. Should not do that. It's wild to like start to see like this first edge of kind of real shit in our lifetimes change. Like, yeah. even locally in, in my area in Southern California, like, it, it snowed pretty seriously in, like, the high desert, like Joshua Tree, which is, like, pretty rare. It even snowed. It snowed, like, within the boundaries of Los Angeles, uh, which is, like, kind of unusual. It does, like, snow in, in the mountains, but, like, to be far enough into Los Angeles, have snow within the city limits is mad unsettling. Yeah, it's weird how, um, like, different places are getting different kinds of extreme weather events. Like, I know it snowed up in Washington. I saw a lot of photos of that, and that's not something that happened a whole lot. And then uh, down here in Florida, we're more, like, worried about the hurricanes and stuff. Yeah, I was in Seattle during that snowstorm. 
it was like perfectly timed to just like show up when I got there. It was like I drove up the coast and had no service for most of that drive. And I woke up like after a couple of days of being off the grid and my car was covered in snow, like on the beach. Were you snowed in anywhere or were you able to like... Well, I had um, my super low gas mileage, like irresponsible SUV with four wheel drive. So I was awesome and had like a great time, which is like a kind of cruel irony or whatever that like <laughs> my 15 miles per gallon like Toyota 4Runner would be like the perfect car for this situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I know the uh, popular narrative for a long time has been how do we as consumers blame ourselves for climate change? I'm kind of not interested in like shaming each other horizontally. Consumers are what, like 10% of greenhouse gas emissions or something like that? Yeah, it's like seven companies produce like 80% of like all the greenhouse emissions yeah yeah 100% it's so like it's like more and more absurd and I feel like those lines are being more quickly rejected by people like it was a news story a couple days ago that was like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez drives a car hypocrite much <laughs> it's so just like transparently in bad faith but it seems so impotent as an argument you know, I don't think that like the appetite for like atomized individuals to blame each other is as strong anymore as maybe it was like 10 years ago yeah it is cool seeing like uh, increasing class consciousness happening I don't know if there's a correlation between awareness of climate change and awareness of class struggle but they do seem to be aligned right now which is exactly what we need I totally think it's it's a rising class consciousness that a allows people to see themselves widely as being exploited by yeah. capital and to understand that like those forces of capital are like not sustainable and like not well planned it will do just absolutely anything to to extract value from the world and people yeah for sure i mean it is cool seeing like how how quickly like awareness of things is changing like even just looking back to like how rapidly gay rights has changed the norms have changed. The way that I look at the world just in the past, like, 15 years has so radically changed that I know it's possible for this kind of awareness to keep spreading. It's kind of interesting because it's like with class consciousness, there's nothing new about understanding of like material conditions. Because it's like this was hugely popular in our country like 70 years ago, like trade unions and stuff were incredibly powerful. And like a popular workers movement was how we got like, the 40 hour work week and paid sick time and all the stuff like American capitalists would otherwise not you know, have like a reason to benevolently give you like they were taken through actions and strikes. And I think that, like, that's a rising tide. Because, like, in this year, the rate of striking workers for, like, better material conditions was, like, the highest this year out of, like, the last decade or something. Like, all the teachers' strikes, and they work extremely well. Like, a work stoppage is a great way to get what you want. And it's kind of the only way to be taken seriously as a block. And these things are headed to meet each other. An increasingly conscious population that understands that climate change isn't really like specifically their fault as consumers and that like the choice that we think we have as consumers isn't real, it's sort of imaginary. And then like that we can get what we want, you know, when we like kind of work together. And I think it's also like a part of political imagination changing, like the realm of the possible is changing for us. Yes, yeah. What we have been told is possible. Well, according to this, like, Fukuyama neoliberal narrative, we cannot sustain. Like, this can't be the end of history because it will be the end of, like, life on Earth. Like, yeah. in a lot of ways, climate change is lighting a fire under our asses because, you know, all of these, like, Jetsons, techno-solutions... 
they're not really nearly enough and the technology isn't even there yet. And then these like consumer like, well, you can drive less and fly less and adopt a vegan diet. And I'm not opposed to those things. Like those, those aren't bad ideas. But eventually you just reach a point where you keep digging into it. You're like, oh no, society has to fundamentally change. That's like the only way to solve this problem. And the more awareness of this problem spreads, I guess, yeah, that would, that would inevitably raise class consciousness if you, if you realize that's the, that's the only option we really have. Yeah. I mean, like when we were kids, I remember reading Naomi Klein, who totally changed my whole like way of seeing the world around me in kind of like a really simple way. Like that was a, a Marx intro that was extremely good where I didn't even know if she invoked that name, but like outside of her, what we were offered at that time in terms of like changing materially the world around us was like ad busters and like culture jamming and shit which in hindsight looks so quaint that would look so dumb now 2019 if like you're like it's fat ronald mcdonald <laughs> like we yeah we know it's, it's so obvious it's so hard to imagine like those things having like any cultural context but i remember at that time i was like yeah <laughs> this is criticism now that memes are kind of just like something that everyone participates in there's just no teeth in doing anything like that you know if if anybody can just like take any image and drop it in paint and then like type whatever text they want on it they're so good dude all of art criticism and art history is going to be replaced by meme studies in like five years in some ways it's like fulfilling a utopian promise of the early internet that it's going to like democratize communication <laughs> so a little bit that like it's democratizing that like, fucking rule <laughs> so tight it's like one of the few early utopian internet idealistic prophecies that sort of gets fulfilled but also like has to sacrifice pepe it got fulfilled in such a way that would be like unimaginable and so bewildering i love it because it's it's true because it's like this is what is libidinally at the under the surface level happening societally yeah. right it's incredible and it's like we thought that we'd get like beautiful democratized communication and we got like a universe of Chad memes. Sup, Blake? A universe of Chad memes. Sup, Blake? You mad, bro? the word libidinal because i think that's true in a very like og freudian sense like it, it really is a good way to measure kind of where the like primal underlying energy of society is you know for better or worse you can like dip a toe into the like health hazardous marsh of the donald on reddit or any number of like owning libs facebook groups and kind of see like they're like talking about aoc wearing shoes and dancing or whatever okay good to know that's yeah this is so true uh did you see how reddit solved the feet mystery it's like right-wing news sources posted what like they alleged to be a aoc nude and i just i don't know if it was reddit board i feel like they're reddit dudes but it was wiki feet identified the feet is their feet guys and they were like those aren't the feet dude i know feet i'm the, <laughs> I'm the foot guy She's clear. Salvation comes from the strangest places sometimes. It's really, it is the same, it's the same thing with memes, right? Like it's the most unrepentantly, libidinally driven people who are making them that can show you a meme that describes a cultural force that you know, but like you didn't consciously understand. For some reason, there's the meme that the left can't meme, which I, I guess 
you would say if you haven't seen a lot of leftist memes, but yeah, you know, like, it depends on like a really narrow definition of the left, right? Like, right, because like memes, the form, like how the form decides the content to some degree, like how the space that music is played in decides what it should sound like. Memes are good at owning the libs as a form. Now, if you think that owning the libs is cool, then like that's a really good entry point. So that's like the form correctly applied. That makes sense too, because like for a meme, you're not going to cram a lot of nuance into like top text to bottom text isn't going to convey a lot of, you're not going to get a deep dive into any topic. So it really is the best format for owning. But you also, the left is kind of being defined as like Democrats in a lot of ways. So if you're saying like Democrats can't meme, that might be true. But like, go talk to the communists and the anarchists. Late stage capitalism is full of memes. So I don't know. Are they like a different thing? If you're right wing, you don't you don't see them as the left anymore. They're just out outside the spectrum. Yeah, it's it's weird because it's like sometimes the right can't distinguish between libs and the left. I think it's it's just sort of like a take that lacks nuance. But on the other hand, I I do think that like the left is taken in some ways way more seriously by the right than by the libs. Like Trump has specifically addressed socialism and the popularity of socialism. I think it was that speech we made out with the flag, but he like directly addresses socialism and a lot of like these right wing guys do. Fox News talks about it. These nerdy right wing pundits talk about it. And they do it in kind of like a specific way that shows like a, a very real threat to their position because it, it has some teeth because it promises something material, right? Other than like a, a tax credit for the Prius. It threatens to really like take them out and shut them out of power, which is something that like the center lib area doesn't necessarily threaten to do. It's like those people are still talking about like bipartisanship, working across the aisle, and kind of these extremely like toothless, you know, like we're actually pretty fine with what's going on. We just like don't like your manners. <laughs> You're sort of rude. Right. They're basically on the same side of big business. They're just like, well, maybe gay people are okay. Gay people, we're we're on your side. Yeah, and it's like most of like most of those social advancements are kind of cast in a way that still revolves around business. It's might be like a little subjective. But like for instance, see a number of the candidates talking about like programs like Medicare for All. They're like they'll use like this watchword access to healthcare. And um, the way that a lot of people talk about healthcare and like access is in like monetary terms. Like whether or not it's cheaper for the country or cheaper for people. And all those things are very real and like good, but they're very like, we're doing this because it's efficient, because it's a good way to tweak and modify what we see as our role in society, kind of like technocratic. It doesn't necessarily come from like a, a moral perspective or like a consistent philosophical perspective, but someone on like what, what I would say is the left is like, it is morally correct to do this everyone deserves to live with dignity and a part of that is making sure that they can go to the doctor and even if it was more expensive and like harder still do it so it's the right that's the right thing to do just kind of strange like the the religious right tends to try to like lay claim to values and morality as if like well if you're not one of us how can you have values or morality without getting too bogged down in the the theology of that that always just kind of strikes me as ironic why are you arguing against taking care of the poor do you think that like we let the right wing own morality? 
I mean, I remember, like, when we were, like, 12 or whatever, and, like, the social current that, like, I was kind of plugged into was, like, it's dumb to believe stuff. You know, you don't truly believe anything because you're kind of, like, what is knowledge? How can I know things? Those are reasonable epistemological questions or whatever, but at some point you just have to be, like, people should be able to go to the doctor. Yeah. And I believe that that's correct. I don't stand by that. It's, it's like, not, you're not really going out that far to say that, like, people should die because they need right. insulin, you know? Yeah. I mean, even if you believe nothing, you still have to act in the world. So you still have to act according to some, like, pragmatic operating procedures. Yeah, no, that was, like, very much the zeitgeist when we were younger, was this, like, well, let's deconstruct traditional Christianity and then see it fall apart. And it wasn't even real. Like, the thing that we thought culturally that we were fighting against, evangelical Christianity applied to politics or whatever, like, it wasn't even, like, you look back on it and it's like, that wasn't real. Those people didn't believe any of those things. Like, they were in in bad faith making appeals to religion that they didn't believe. You know, like, we were totally wagged. We were 100% just, like, along for that ride and, like, let that version of the right wing control that conversation. And we just fucking followed them, even though, like, the realm of possibilities, sort of what we were talking about earlier, like, the realm of imagination was 100% on their terms. Because we didn't, like, believe anything. We didn't have, like, a counteroffer. Yeah, atheism doesn't have any tenets. You still have to, okay, once you get to atheism, you then have to be like, okay, well, I as a human being want to tell stories about my place in the world, and I want to tell stories that make what I do with my life meaningful. And there's there's almost more pressure because you're like, okay, well, maybe I only get one life. So I have like however many years left to figure out what I'm going to do with it. And atheism isn't like an ideology, so it's not going to tell you anything. So maybe you look back at like existentialism or humanism. And I think those things are good, but they don't really give you a lot to work with. It's like if you get like, well, you make your own meaning. You're like, okay, great. I'm going to make my own meaning. What meaning should I make? <laughs> you know, I don't I don't know what to do with that. So it's like a good yeah. like transitional point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like that's that's super tight. And obviously, like I've been on the same journey, but like. Like, atheism sort of is an ideology. There's a variety that's, like, YouTube atheism. Oh, yeah. Like, those guys fucking have an ideology. It just sucks ass. Yeah. I think the angry atheism thing, to me, looks like part of a grieving process. You see a lot less, like, atheism depression on YouTube. Because also, like, if you've been told by the church over and over, well, you can never be happy without the Lord in your heart, and you go get to that, like, depression part of the grieving process, you're gonna be like, I don't want you to be right. Like, I don't think that's right, but it's gonna look like it's right if I'm sharing my, like, depression phase of grieving over, like, <laughs> leaving this structure that my whole family is a part of. I mean, it's kind of gross YouTube atheism, but it's probably, like, a healthy part of the process. I would just like to see more exposure to helping people through the grieving process or like getting further along or like putting it in terms so you see it as part of a of an unfolding process that you then continue on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I feel like I'm going to get this name wrong, but who's that fucking atheist dude? Christopher Hitchens? Yeah, 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 Christopher Hitchens. That dude is like the prototype for like that ideology of person. I mean, they they full circle it, right? Because like they came out like just hyper racist and Islamophobic mm-hmm. and shit. Misogynistic and gross. Yeah, like they internalized all the bullshit that like they yeah. accused. Christianity, I mean, like more or less correctly in, in certainly in like that evangelical right wing political context. 
I mean, like, Jordan Peterson is, like, on the same fucking wave. He's just, like, for our current generation. Although he's, like, some sort of wild neo-Jungian. Yeah, I don't I don't have a lot to argue with him about any Jungian claims. It's, like, whatever he veers outside of that, I just feel like he needs to be kind of shepherded back, back into his realm of expertise or whatever. Which is just, like, normal self-help for, like, nerds. Make your bed. Yeah. He's gonna debate Daddy in, like, Toronto. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Dude, he's just gonna fucking top rope him. He's just gonna come in with a chair, stone cold stun him. I feel like Zizek is just gonna like push his buttons, and Peterson is just gonna have some kind of breakdown on stage. He'll yeah, just get like 100%. pissy. They're debating specifically Marxism, and JP has like zero understanding of Marxism. He has no idea. Oh, what it for is. sure. And Zizek is, is like literally a Marxist scholar. Well, and they both like they're both kind of flirty with Christianity in their own way. So I feel like that gives them some kind of like shared lexicon for arguing. What do you mean? Like Zizek talks about Christianity from a Marxist lens. And Jordan Peterson, he seems to like be approaching Christianity from like this traditionalist kind of Jungian perspective. I don't know how seriously he takes it. And he doesn't strike me as an evangelical, but he does seem to value Christianity as like a structure of traditions or a shared mythology or something like that. But because they both have these like very different approaches... I mean, I don't know, they might find something to agree on, which would be kind of strange. But I think because it's Zizek, the, the conversation will be flavored very differently than if he entered into a debate with, like, almost any other leftist thinker. Yeah, I mean, that's also, like, Zizek understands the critical landscape around him and, like, other philosophers and stuff, whereas, like, JP absolutely does not. Yeah, I, don't know, I don't know if, like, JP, I guess, like, I haven't watched enough, but, like, I don't know. I mean, it seems like he's interested in, like, a very invented kind of history. The, the invented concept of the West or whatever, like white people, which is pretty much not real. Like it's, it doesn't seem like that's rooted in like any kind of consistent history or like there's any tangible claim to like this is one thing. He sort of tries to trace like Greek thought to enlightenment to like the American continent, but it's there's a lot of weird jumps in there that like don't really track or follow and seems to me like extremely ahistorical. I think he's going to get rocks, dude. He's going to get absolutely battered. I think so. And I will enjoy watching that. Is your YouTube also all like, Jurgen Peterson owns the libs, destroys college liberal. I'm trying to do his voice, so I'm not, I'm like, <laughs> kind of stuffy, so I'm not doing great. It's like Kermit the Frog. Yeah. The thing about lobsters, you have to understand, lobsters love hierarchy. Such such a dumb argument. I don't want to like go off on that tangent. It's the wackest fucking argument. But, like, you what fucking the fuck? nerd. Get this is look, I mean, this is like why we need Chad memes. Like I shouldn't have to listen to some fucking dork talk to me about <laughs> white people and lobsters. Like shut up. Friday, Friday, Friday at the Sony Center in Toronto. Jordan Peterson, Slaboy Zizek, head to head. Happiness, Marxism versus capitalism. Friday. Look out, Slavoy. Life is inherently meaningless, as is this empty spectacle. I'm going to establish my hierarchical dominance over you. I'm in a training unit has better philosophical perspectives than you. I'm going to clean my room with your face. Fuck you. Jordan tickets on sale now. Let me tell you about the climate dance, it's easy to do You're nervous and you jump because this world's nearly through So down some more tea, watch some foreign TV Put your mind on anything but the truth The heat is 
gotta climb a dance, it's easy to do You grab hold of the treaty, then you tear it in two Then go back to your people, spin me all About how the earth ain't gonna come no harm We gotta cut our emissions by 95% Can we talk for a minute about the conservative phrasebook? to just totally misrepresent or caricaturize any point that anyone makes ever. Making a moral argument, if you're a leftist, is virtue signaling. So now we can like read insincerity into that. You can't be making a moral argument, you're just virtue signaling. Being upset about something is being triggered, even though like the religious right at least is probably the most easily upset group of people. You know, they get triggered about everything. Okay. If we're gonna use that term. You're you're fucking right. I mean, it's fun to use those though. Like, it's fun to make them meaningless. I said I'm triggered about shit all the time. I mean, that term didn't originate with the right. Well, yeah, and it is. It was like for people with like PTSD, like specifically, like it had a pretty specific meaning. But now it doesn't, and that sucks. It sucks that it doesn't. But I don't think it's easy to like reimbue something with like its correct meaning after it's been like fucked up. Maybe we just have to let it go or pick something new. It's like Pepe. It's he's he has to die now. It's gone. Oh, social justice warrior. It's a classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's all like from the the assumption that you couldn't possibly want anything other than the completely ruthless exploitation of others for your own benefit. Right. <laughs> and that like you would be insane <laughs> to be anything other than like a hateful little fucking worm I mean, it's it's difficult to like take it too seriously because their perspectives are so deeply dweeby and it's like they it's like they have seen because they're willing to from those perspectives advocate for things and like inflict actual violence on other people because they're deeply depersonalized you know the people that they see as their enemy kind of use this like insane phrase book to do that so it's like, it's real, it's it's real and dangerous and shitty, and like, Proud Boys and shit are real. They, they can be real and also dweebs. Can I just throw out there, the Proud Boys name comes from being triggered about a song in the musical version of Disney's Aladdin. What? Which is so, yeah. What? Yeah, it was, uh, I forgot what? the guy. Gavin McGinnis. Right, yeah. so there's like a song in the musical version of Disney's Aladdin, like the Broadway Aladdin or whatever, where Aladdin is like having a musical moment. Not the So not the movie, but the musical. The, the music, movie. yeah, the musical version <laughs> of Disney, not, not the musical of the tale of Aladdin, but the musical version of Disney's oh Aladdin, <laughs> where Disney's the Aladdin himself is like, oh, mom, am I making you proud? Like having a moment about his dead mom which i have to say makes sense for the character because in the movie it's never addressed that he's a fucking orphan like that is just skimmed. like you know you can build some gravitas with that character but anyway so they did in the musical and i guess that gavin dude was like moms like he just like (laughs) took such issue with it and saw it as some weird like like anti-masculine for some reason, you suck it up, Aladdin. You don't need a mom. <laughs> Snowflake. So it's Holy Proud shit. Boys because they are proud. They don't care. Oh, I cannot believe I didn't know that. That is amazing. I mean, it's like a toxic masculinity fueled by self-hatred and projection. Yeah, it's also in the realm of fantasy, though. It's like so nerdy. It's, like, it's so hard for me to get over that like specific point. 
Oh, and I wanted to say, like, I started listening to that new new AG mixtape. Uh, yeah, issue five. So you're putting out these, like, drum circle radio, which are all really excellent. I really like this new one. It might be my favorite so far. It's basically like listening to a mushroom trip. <laughs> 100%, yeah. I was wondering if you could talk about not only, like, the brand and, like, what made you decide on that, like, form of expression. Yeah, dude. Um, Sure, I'm happy to talk about it. I kind of avoid putting a lot of words around it. It's as like a creative project, I prefer it to be really impulse driven from idea to like getting something printed or like making something and trying to make the boundary as short as possible so I don't have time to like think about it. And I think it's a counterpoint to my job. I'm a user experience designer, uh, which is very like, uh, there's a lot of like intellectual considerations and stuff that like puzzles me that I have to like think really hard about and like so Be Your Own Drum Circle came out of like, I was making a mural for the studio that I worked at, and I kind of just reassociated it together. Um, it was a bunch of like small drawings and just like impressions of our lives together, like a hot dog or like my friend's chihuahua, and Be Your Own Drum Circle just kind of worked in there, and I did in the mural. It was just something that appeared that I didn't think about kind of purposely. And it eventually, like, became the title of a zine that I made of, like, 35mm disposable photography that has the same, like, kind of creative impulse where, like, you're using a disposable camera and you're sort of waving it around, firing it, and you're not thinking or composing. You're just sort of taking this pretty raw stream of information, having it developed, and then looking at it, and kind of after the fact, putting it back together. And that, like, kind of solidified the creative impulse around it. I made stickers, because I thought that'd be cool. I made some shirts, I made more zines. Mixtapes came out of like the same thing. I just wanted to like collect impulses. This it kind of gives me like a repository of like my work to look back on and kind of see like what I perceive to be like a, a pretty unfiltered vision of like where I was at that point or like what I was doing, what I was interested in. So you asked a question about like this shirt, like imagining like an imaginary space. Yeah, so that was like the latest thing that you're you're working on. I've decided to move from Los Angeles to Joshua Tree. So I think I'm like reflecting on whether or not that's like a dumb idea or like if I just like have a vision for what I want to do. I feel like you're usually not sure if you're kind of onto something that's juicy for you. You're like, this is either the best idea I've ever had or the worst. And I think that like that requires a, a kind of practice of imagination about your own life, which is appealing to me. So the shirt is like um, essentially a, a, an iPhone photo that I took of like a storefront in Koreatown that I thought was especially beautiful and normal. And I basically like took it, spent some efforts, like kind of redraw it in Illustrator and apply like my own aesthetics or like just play make believe with it. Like if I had a new age bodega, this is what I would have in it. That's really cool. I like the idea of kind of being free spirited with a creative output, like not having a plan, but just kind of like following the impulse and following the joy of it. So in a way, that's kind of how you see a part of yourself or like a deeper part of yourself than if you, you know, if you start planning, you get the ego involved. Yeah, I mean, it's I think like, like, this isn't the creative project that should be purposeful, like it should be anti purpose. It's just like weird. And like some additions, other people like hate it, the idea that I put these words together in this confusing way, <laughs> like they don't understand like this weird bootleg new age self published zine aesthetic that I use, which is like, that's totally fine. It's what I grew up with and like familiar to me, um, or they love it and fucking get it. I wonder if some of the people who like don't respond positively to it, if this is just their first exposure to that kind of like zany early remix culture, kind of physically cutting things up. If this is just like they don't know what they're looking at. It could be. It could be that they just hate hippies. 
and it's like it's also it's hard to unpack my relationship to it because it's like there is like even though it's what i grew up with and like what i'm really familiar with culturally there is like a distance and a tongue-in-cheekness and like an irony i think it definitely does not read as any kind of satire it doesn't seem like you're really distancing yourself from the aesthetic and like pointing at it and laughing like you seem to be celebrating it it seems more like a like a loving homage for sure. I think it, it might a little bit be false nostalgia, maybe like in a heightened sense since we moved to California. And like I work in a tech heavy kind of industry where it's like the ideas of like 60s counterculture that kind of became early computer interest. Those people are kind of similar actors and there was a lot of like utopian hippie vision in kind of like early tech. And, you know, like to look at that now, it's this like extremely cynical, very soulless startups and companies who have kind of taken like the aesthetics of utopianism and, you know, sold it to venture capitalists and kind of and made it sort of impotent. I mean, like you can sort of point to any startup and like identify like it's you know, as a utopian angle or like a, an angle of freeing people, but it's, it's really just like a direct consumer mattress company <laughs> to see those aesthetics like that, that mode of, of seeing and that mode of relating to the world around you. It's also kind of like there was and like still is like so much energy and uh, cleverness and stuff like in that space, but it's all pressed and subsumed under capital some of like the greatest minds like in my space that are you know all making like these ultimately like pretty corny or like useless products so i think that maybe i'm looking to recapture or like represent some of like that just raw kind of dumb utopianism yeah, so it's almost like a discordian approach to new age or something like that it's like a uh, new age for the fun of it yeah totally i looked at downloading that video game room world Oh, nice. That, that looks really complicated, dude. I was watching some guy play, and he was like, his people kept getting sick, and he like couldn't figure out why. It took like 30 minutes to like go through the menus to find out that like he had set his colonists like make meals with like spoiled food. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I would never figure this out, dude. Like, I couldn't find the mic settings on like the recording program earlier. And this game is like all menus. I'm very attracted to it, but I'm also very scared by it. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> There's a lot that can go wrong, but I think like things going wrong is kind of the fun of the game. And then like weird little things that wind up having a huge effect. Like it was kind of emotionally harrowing to watch my colony collapse because we had a bad harvest because of a blight. And then like watching people eat each other and go psychotic and set their like <laughs> food sources on fire. <laughs> but I have that story. I feel like oddly gratified by having that story. Yeah, I, d I think it was cool that its description was that it's a story generating game. Yeah. I thought that was like a pretty fascinating way to phrase that. Yeah. Should we stream it? Should we start Twitch streaming? I think so, yeah. I'm pretty captivated by like the aesthetics of Twitch. I've been watching more of it. The aesthetics are really interesting. And now that I live, I live in LA and I work remote from home and um, living in LA, I think is... And it's not like this for everyone, but it's been like this for me. It's like very isolating. Like everything is exactly 45 minutes away from everything else. So it can be extremely difficult to like socialize if you don't know people who like live in your neighborhood or you're not willing to like drive for a few hours like after work. But I think I understand like that this is sort of the future of, you know, the cultural atomization or whatever, where we all feel increasingly isolated and, and separated. And I do think that like remote work is like a big part of my industry's future because the centers of that industry are so unaffordable. 
That's an interesting topic, though, is like remote work and then what you do with that sense of isolation. Because I'm in kind of a similar boat. I don't have a lot of friends around here. Like, I haven't really made any good connections. That makes sense. Like, you've sort of turned that into like a creative pursuit. Yeah. Well, because I listened to a lot of podcasts and I was just like passively consuming social interaction. And eventually that felt weird. Like, well, I want to say something too. I mean, also looping in the fact that I'm talking to another human being. So it kind of gives me like an impetus. Like, I feel like I'm being productive when I'm just like having a fun conversation with my friends. Yeah, you are. For sure. Like you, you have a creative impulse, right? Like you're interested in the form and then you combine it with like a, a tangible need in your life to hang out. And then you turn that into your work. It, like I think it's awesome. And I think that like there's sort of a similar impulse that's like fulfilled by the consumers of and producers of, of Twitch content. Yeah, I think so. So like there's a sense of isolation that is really relieved by like the experiences that I've had, like just watching people play video games. Yeah, because there's, I mean, you watch sports. Right. And, and sports are like games that were originally developed by people playing together to play that game. And then people started watching it and then it became like an industry around watching it. But like watching Twitch streams is more personal. Like you're not just getting what they're doing and if they're like really good at it or not. But you can have fun watching someone who sucks at a game, but they just have like a charming personality or they're like talking about what's going on in their life. <laughs> I, I don't recommend that you watch this at all, but like, there's a Joe Rogan who like recently interviewed his friend Alex Jones. It's like a five hour fucking oh thing. God. It's like these dumbest dudes in the entire world having the fucking wackest conversation. I have to watch that though. I mean, Alex Jones is fucking, he's fun, but he's aging and like his expectations that others have of him are sort of catching up to him. So it's like, he gets really heated about like that. He, he thinks the moon landing is real, like that it actually happened. And like how bummed the room is that like he doesn't have like an insane fucking lizard person perspective about the moon landing is like just made me really uncomfortable because it's like they're only friends with him because he says insane bullshit. And it's like if he wasn't so fucking like insane and wrapped up in right wing stuff, like if he wasn't like a proto kind of version of that style of pundit, it'd be really cool because like he says fun, insane shit. And like he's been doing it forever and was like early on that wave, but he, you know, got wrapped up in some, some wild bullshit. I mean, maybe, like, having been kicked off of everything will give him some time and he'll come back in, like, you know, 10 years and just be, like, an older, chilled-out Art Bell type or something. Could be. I don't know, man. I don't know what his trajectory is. I don't think it's good, though. It's kind of made me depressed to watch him. Oh, man. I mean, you should still do it. I'm still gonna do it. <laughs> but now I'm less giddy about it. Yeah, <laughs> don't, don't look forward to this. Like, it's, you're <laughs> obligated to do it, but, like, you're not gonna enjoy it. I feel like a, a lot of really excellent recommendations that I get from you are, like, really interesting <laughs> things that sort of also bum me out. <laughs> because you turned me on to Adam Curtis. You turned me on to that book, um, Escape Attempts. Oh, yeah. Which was just fucking savage yeah (laughs) but had a lasting impression on me like i've never in a lot of ways pushed me over the edge of some kinds of forms of my thinking and kind of pushed me into like new territory with trying to figure out how to actually respond to life given these things but was just a harrowing like emotional voyage to be on (laughs) here's how bullshit all your ideas are about how you're gonna make life something you can cope with 
I think that maybe I'm an accelerationist about it. Like, um, I think that this sort of ties back to fractured identity in social media. The accelerationist perspective of this is to just, like, destroy your identity by going super deep and twit streaming your entire life. I like that you have these two sides to you, though, that, like, there is this, like, accelerationist impulse, which I really respect. Like, I, I'm very against, like, naive optimism and just, like, well, everything will be okay. It's like, well, no, let's actually look at the problem. Let's, like, let's get as clear and just go straight to the truth of it, cut all the way down. And sometimes you have to stare into a gaping void of bullshit and go through grieving processes or whatever. But then you also have this like attraction to light, joyful, spontaneous, new agey or hippie kind of aesthetic. Like there's more depth to your employment of hippie aesthetic, I think, because you're also not just going to be like naively optimistic about everything. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's like, there's still a weight to it, but you still want beauty and joy, but you're not, you're not like excluding truths to get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's pretty interesting. I think that's like one of the things that I respect most about like Los Angeles culture is like that no one here experiences shame. That's like a cultural holdover from our context in the Northwest. It's a, a strong current of shame culture that's deeply integrated into like our beings growing up in like the Seattle area. But here it just totally doesn't exist and people are free to do whatever they want, pursue whatever kinds of corny activities and like just cringy enjoyment, doing yoga on a bird scooter or whatever. And I respect that. first episode ever recorded in a long time this is like the first 2.0 episode oh, yeah. so yeah. i gotta ask and then just like see where where this goes or how this works out and you can be as pragmatic and realistic or as utopian pie in the sky as you want to be you know it doesn't even have to be plausible if we want to envision a future worth having if we want to envision a way of living worth working for after it's all said and done and the dust settles or whatever, like what kind of world would you want to live in, you know, if not this one? Okay, yeah, that's tight, dude. That's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of answers and a lot of things that like are probably attracting to us that like might appear to be kind of a oppositional you know like there's a lot of aesthetics of like um a back to the land like an anarcho-primitivist or whatever kind of movement and then like maybe on like the other end of that spectrum is like luxury space communism um which is also very cool like both those things are fucking tight they seem oppositional i don't necessarily know if they are oppositional because i sort of question my own imagination for like possibilities outside of capitalism I won't do a good Mark Fisher summary, but like that that book, if there's one thing that I think you can recommend to like the listeners of your two point is to go read yeah. Capitalist Realism by Mark Fisher. And it's short. It's very digestible. It's fifty pages long. It's so short. And it rocked me 
pretty heavily and, and it was like I was kind of familiar with this landscape already but like I'm not you know an intellectual dude I'm not a scholar I'm just a, a graph designer that's like trying to understand the world around him but like this book addresses the scope of our imagination uh uses this phrase it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism um so a lot of our imaginings around the kind of world that we'd like to live in are like look like Mad Max because we can't right. we can't like envision a world that both has like luxury goods like computers and phones that you know do cool stuff and also like isn't ruthlessly exploitive at the behest of empire and industry and shit but i think that both might in a way be possible because it's like to have a sustainable future we have to treat the world in a good and appropriate way that isn't just based on resource extraction which i think is totally possible it seems like most of like the things we fucked up aren't because like there's too many of us we're overpopulated or like feeding each other is hard it's like waste i think it's just a result of like making things as profitable as possible is super inefficient for the entire world like it's efficient for you and your bottom line but it's not <laughs> it's like the end result is like extremely wasteful and stupid so if we treat the world correctly which has kind of this back to the land flavor a little bit because it's like sustainable farming and this side of the spectrum i think can be managed and very beautiful and very like pastoral and kind of appeal to my desire for nature stuff and like desire for like the land to stop being fucked up and then on the other side, the cleverest minds in any space have been uh, kind of stolen away and funneled into like very foolish, unsustainable pursuits in the interest of capital. Pretty much no one who's really good at what they're doing is like doing something that's both what they're good at doing and good for the world. And I think that most people want to do that. Like there's probably a reason that like a lot of advancements in science and medicine and stuff have been made by people who are just independently wealthy that could do whatever they want. Like the polio guy. I don't remember what his name is, but that was just a rich dude. Alexander Polio. Yeah. Alexander <laughs> Polio Bell. Like he just like did it because he was like, I like this. This is cool. I'm, I have a passion and a talent for understanding this kind of shit and making vaccines. And he didn't patent it because he was rich. He needed the money. So when not pitted in competition constantly with each other for basic survival needs, what kind of advances and possibilities would open up to us as like a species? And I, I think that those things can be together. I'd like to agree with you because like that just makes me think of like Ted Kaczynski, aka the Unabomber. And I, I read his manifesto a few years ago and it kind of shook me. Because I, I saw where he was coming from, and I, I disagree with his methods, but also just given his biography of a dude who just sort of had it and then wanted to live out in the woods in his little shack, and then they put like a fucking freeway right next to him or something, and he just snapped. Like, I, I understand that emotionally, yeah. but... Uh, I love that you got Ted-pilled. I don't know if you're on the watch list for being on the Ted Kaczynski Facebook meme groups, but those are fucking super good. I have to be on some kind of watch list. I also paid money for Deep Green Resistance, like, with a credit card, so... <laughs> but, like, honestly, both those groups, and while I still have, like... I'm not, like, committed to post-Civ, but I am, like, Civ skeptical. But I, I think they're still bound by that same, like, constraint of imagination. Like, if you can't imagine human beings using technology differently... Like, if you can only imagine technology existing in a capitalistic, self-nihilative framework, 
I think that might be thinking a little too small. Mm -hmm. As long as there are human beings, we will be employing technology. We've been employing technology longer than we've been homo sapiens. You know, tool use started before us. And anthropologically, there have been so many different shapes that societies have taken. So many different ways of of human beings interacting with each other and making meaning in the world and just the stories that we tell about reality. I'm not willing to believe either of those versions were like, this is what society has to look like. It does seem to be a distribution problem. There's tremendous waste. There's people like maybe we don't all need like a new iPhone every two years. And maybe we can take some of those resources and still like build spaceships and shit. But I also like the idea of like, okay, so in order to do that, we have to create a sustainable foundation of society. We have to probably get more local. We have to stop shipping bananas literally everywhere. And uh, we can all get more into back into farming because fairly recently, everyone was farming together. You know what I mean? And we can farm better now than we ever have. So why would we not do that? Why would we not shape our society in such a way that we're less consumeristic? Because we're consumeristic also because we've been told to be consumers. You know, we're being subjected to propaganda constantly. I don't think everyone inherently wants a new iPhone every two years. And I don't mean to shame anyone who, like, is keeping up with iPhones or anything like that. I'm just using that as an example of, like, basically consumer products that are being given, like, an expiration date just to keep selling the product over and over. You can probably make a better phone that lasts longer if you're not just trying to, like, keep selling it over and over again. Yeah, 100%. Phones would be way better. Like, video games would be way better under communism. Tetris was invented by the Soviets. It was just, like, communism. Also promises, like, the end of, you know, buying loot boxes, you know, needing to pay for skins. Like, gaming would be way better under communism. I thought, like, the Animal Crossing game, like, the phone one was, like, supposed to be really cool, but they built in, like, all this, like, oh, you have to pay real money to get resources and skins and, like, the fun stuff. You wouldn't have a problem under communism, dude. Well, and just, like, contrast the, like, indie Steam games that are labors of love that don't make a lot of, like, fiscal sense. Like, sometimes they'll pay off. You have success stories, like, Stardew Valley. I'm sure Concerned Ape made a bunch of money from that. But he was, like, doing that and not getting paid for it, really, for, like, years and years and years. And if you play it, like, it's a, it's a really beautiful, adorable game that's clearly, like, filled with joy and, like, one person's creative vision versus like these triple a games where it's like gears of war 12 just like gears of war 11 but like a little different now it sucks so much dude i think it's like the same thing they sound that differently talking about like luxury goods gaming and um farming but i think that they're incredibly similar so farming is like we're good at it i'm doing air quotes i'm good at it because it's like we have industrial mechanisms that are good at producing like a lot of one thing but we're arguably actually very bad at farming, right? Like, um, there's a lot of, like, heritage methods of farming that we 100% miss out on. Our species diversity is, like, incredibly limited. Like, if you go buy, uh, like, a, a tomato at a store, it's probably a bullshit kind of tomato. Like, it's flavorless, like, it's, like, cardboard. But, like, an heirloom tomato that you get from, like, someone who's, like, saved seeds. It's, like, grown on a small organic farm is, like, mad good. And it tastes like a totally different vegetable. Like, and it's, like, this heritage bean company. And that's all, like, these species that are, like, sort of pre-industrial or that are more, like, native to, like, the Southwest uh, that are part of, like, indigenous culture that are so, like, preserved and, like, it's this incredibly wide family of beans. And, like, that's the future. And it's, it's not, like, hyper-industrialization where there's one kind of corn and one kind of bean and one kind of tomato. It's, you know, localized and, like, like you get a better product by being smart about how you plant it and, like, just at a smaller scale. So you get, like, a lot of people doing that, like, around a region and then you can kind of feed everyone. It's the same thing with gaming. The AAA games are terrible. 
sort of flavorless <laughs> the Jack in the Box tomato. Like they fucking just suck. And then like the Labors of Love, those are good because they're they're unique to their setting. They could only be made by that group of people at that time. There's something really special about it. Um, and that specialness, that uniqueness is something that the industrial version of that, the AAA, can't replicate because it's entirely built around just scale. And there's a similar perspective and it's really all about just like freeing people from the boundaries that have been placed around them and allowing them to like do things that they're good at and passionate about. I mean, one of the arguments in favor of capitalism is that it's good at, like, finding the most efficient way to do something, but the supposedly efficient ways that it finds tend to be extremely short-sighted. If you have a monoculture, you're eventually going to get fucked by a disease. Nature abhors monocultures. But also, like, if you're just efficiently farming your monoculture and you're just breeding and genetically modifying your crop to just be able to survive more and more pesticides, it's like you're not only depleting the topsoil of nutrients, but you're also filling it with toxins. But also, like, if that's what you're breeding your vegetation for, then it's going to get increasingly bland because it's more financially rewarding. So you wind up with just this bland product, and then no one wants to eat vegetables because they don't taste like anything. They become garbage food. And so, you know, people develop health problems because vegetables are gross, and now they're getting, like, nutrient deficiencies. It's not more efficient if you look at the whole picture. Let's not just worry about, like, who's going to, like, profit the most from it, but, like, how do we make society as a whole profit? And I, I don't think it's too utopian to suppose that there are ways of organizing society that put a higher value on everyone's lives. You know what I mean? Because that's traditionally any society that has thrived before it's gotten destroyed by a dominating colonizer. That's how you get a society. Like you don't you don't have a functioning society if there's no like cooperation and prioritizing the well-being of everyone. So it seems ludicrous that we wouldn't be able to imagine a way of doing that. Like it's not utopian to be like, well, maybe we could be less sucky. Like maybe <laughs> yeah. we could be a little better. Maybe it should be slightly less bad. Yeah, it's not a utopian fantasy. I think it's 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 within the realm of possibilities if we extend our possibilities beyond a disastrous end of capitalism. That was a good riff, dude. That was a good topic. Good shit. Do you want to plug Be Your Own Drum Circle? Yeah. Be, be Your Own Drum Circle.com is where I store my creative impulses. You, know, you can look at it. You don't have to buy anything. The mixes, I think, are good, but those are more for everyone. Yeah, go check that out. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed your work through the medium of the pod. I think it's really compelling, and I'm glad that you're doing it. Oh, thanks, dude. I was really excited to have you on, and hopefully we can uh, get you back on sometime. I think that we should pursue streaming. I legitimately think that would be yes. really cool. And I think that if I start doing it, I can justify buying a gaming chair, which is a threat that I've been making. All right, man. Sounds like a plan. Thanks so much. Go check out Glenn at BeYourOwnDrumCircle.com. Check out his mixtapes. They're really cool. Really love the latest one. Indirect tactics, efficiently applied, are inexhaustible as heaven and earth. streams. Like the sun and moon, they end but to begin anew. Like the four seasons, they pass away to return once more. How you gonna try to be someone when the people can't see you? Uh, how you gonna try to open those doors when you don't use a handle? Huh? You can walk till you move and you're in control. Ride the be in touch with the vibrations. Ooh, oh, yeah, ride those vibrations. up bro that's it for episode 10 thanks so much for listening 
If you like what you heard, you could subscribe on iTunes and we're on Spotify now. You can follow us on Twitter at Now or Nevercast or our brand new Facebook page. Shout out to Sonia for our first ever iTunes review. That was cool. Thank you, Sonia. And uh, shout out to Sarah for the email and all the book and podcast recommendations. Looks like really good stuff. If you're looking for something else to listen to now, I highly recommend uh, Seriously Wrong, the Seriously Wrong podcast. Did an episode not too long ago about uh, the realm of imagination and imagining better futures. Episode 182, Sweetie Trek, Liberatory Sci-Fi with Light of Gold. Super good. Highly recommend it, especially if you liked that topic. Let me know what you think about anything we talked about. Do you think Twitch is going to uh, save us from our isolation? Do you think everyone's streaming their lives is the future? How do you want to expand the realm of the imaginable? What kind of futures do you want to imagine? Or if there's a topic that you want to talk about or you want to hear us talk about, you can always email us, jeremy at itsnowornevepodcast.com or leave us a comment on the website. Music for this episode by Blank and Kite, C. Scott, Keshko, Uncle Milk, Kulla, and the Zombie Dandies. Special thanks to Glenn Newcomer, our guest, DJ Avocado Smoothie, our sponsors, the Collective Consciousness of ExxonMobil, and Tom Gobley of Tom Gobley's Bunker Warehouse and Bunker Emporium. Obviously, all the voices you heard of real people are bad impersonations. So uh, don't sue me, Jordan Peterson, or Slavoj Zizek, or ExxonMobil. If there actually is a DJ Avocado Smoothie out there, I don't know, I didn't check, but uh, you also, if you cannot sue me, that would be great, because I have no money. Until next time, buy heritage beans, make friends with your neighbors, smash the patriarchy, question authority, be excellent to each other, and, I don't know, plant a tree or something. I'm not the boss of you. Do whatever you want. These are just ideas. I'm just spitballing here.